Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to, to sing to you, to, to worship you with music. Father, we thank you that you have done great things in us, for us. You want to do great things through us. And Father, I pray that, that we will come to the place where we will be open, available, courageous, bold. God, that we will let you do those things in us, through us, around us, that our lives would be an impact on people, that our faith would cause people to take notice, that, that our victory through you would cause people to want to, to be drawn to you, to come to you, to surrender to you. God, I pray that we won't approach this, this book as just a work of literature, but we will approach it as a living and active and sharp and wise book of revelation from Almighty God to us. That God, when we read this book, it's not as if you were speaking, because it is you speaking. That it's made alive through your Holy Spirit. And God, that you haven't given us these words just to go, oh wow, and oh me, and uh-oh. But you've given us these words so that they would permeate our inner being. And that from the inside out that we would be renewed and transformed. Lord, take us to new places. To new heights, new depths, new widths, whatever. But God, help us to see. That before the foundation of the world, that you called us out individually to be sons and daughters of God. With the purpose of becoming and being the reflection of Christ. So that those who are sin could realize that the one without sin sacrificed his life. So that we are not eternally separated from you, but eternally connected to you as family. God, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the faithful teachers that have given it to me throughout my life. I thank you for the people that, that I have been able to share it with. Because it's precious. In Jesus' name, amen. So, live your calling. What on earth am I here for? If I just randomly, in just this moment, pointed my finger and say, stand up and tell me why you're here, how many of you would like totally freak out? How many of you would be ready at this moment to say, I know why I'm here? So y'all aren't scared and y'all aren't pumped? Y'all are just disengaged. So <laughs> that's an awesome place to be. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know what? It's a, it is a daunting question. And I don't even know that it's a, always a question. And I say that in jest. I don't even know that it's a question that you can always put the words to. But I know this, that God did create you. He told us before the foundations of the world, He knit you together. This week we had a... Um, 
inside the baby picture. What do you call those? Um, it's inside Gail picture. I'm not Gail. She's not pregnant. But my daughter is. Dallas. Inside Dallas picture. It's called a sonogram. That's all I'm trying to get to, okay? It's just one word. Um, we had a sonogram picture, and it was a picture of the little baby in there. His name is Chase, and Chase is developing, and he has a little ear, and he has a little place for an eyes. He's got a honking nose, by the way. I'm like, goodness. I hope he grows into that. Um, but in the picture, it looks exactly like that Chase's little head is laying in an adult's hand, and that right here by his face is a thumb. And my son-in-law sent me a text. He said, I know it's not. He said, but this makes me think that while Chase is in there, that God is knitting him together. You see, he really is. It's not with a thumb. I understand that. But it was a great visual. And I want you to know that, that God began before you were born to knit you together. And the scripture says that he does not stop that process until you are perfected in Him through Christ, either at death or resurrection. So you do have a purpose, and what we're hoping to do over the next few weeks and what we've done the last weeks is look at why on earth God made us. What's He want us to be? What does He want us to become? We, we started with just a simple thing that said, you are called by God. That He looked out and said, I want you. And he didn't just say, I want humanity. He said, no, I want you. I, he wants me. And listen to me. In a day and a time and in a place where, where people are feeling unwanted and, and in a day and a time and a place where people are, are in situations where they don't know if anybody loves them. In fact, we're more connected than we've ever been and we're lonelier than we've ever been because even though we have interaction with people, it's oftentimes virtual and we have this massive number of friends that we can't find or call on if we needed them for anything and so we're lonely. I was in a restaurant the other day with um, eating and I looked up and I saw two people that I knew were on my friends list for Facebook. And I thought, I wonder if we're really friends. And everything in me wanted to walk up and say, hey, how's it going? But I wanted to sit and see. And we looked at each other. We made like eye contact. And we could have like high-fived or fist bumped right across the thing. And they would kept going like this. Well, you know it went over. And I finally had to go, we're friends on Facebook. Can we talk? And we did, and it was that moment of awkward, but there's this loneliness and this, do they really want to talk to me, or do they really like me, or do they want to be a part? And God says, I want you. He says, I've called you. In fact, he said, I've called you, and I've called you to love you. That's worship. He said, I've called you to have fellowship. That's belonging. He said, I want you to belong to me. I want you to belong to each other. But you see, if we've got the foundation of I'm called, and we've got the foundation of being loved, and if we've got the foundation of belonging, then there's something that God wants us to do, and we're going to say that is becoming. We're going to become. We're, it's discipleship, created to become like Christ. Conformed to His image is what the Scripture would say in Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that God, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, 
We've learned about the purpose of being loved. We've learned about the purpose of belonging. Today we're learning about the purpose of becoming. He says, those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew. Can you say it with me? God knew me. God knew me. God knows me. He foreknew and he predestined. That means he decided before the foundation of the world that we were to be conformed to the image of his son. You say, what's my purpose here? Your purpose is to be like Christ. Now it's manifest itself in a lot of different ways, but it is your purpose. You are to be a reflection of Christ. This morning I would venture to say that everybody in this room looked into a mirror. And when you looked into that mirror, what you saw was a reflection of yourself. And what this verse is teaching us is that every day we're going to have interactions with people. And in those interactions with people that they're going to look at us. And what God wants them to see is not Chris or TJ. What they want, God wants people to see is the reflection of His Son. He wants us to reflect Him. So it says that we are to be loved, we're to belong, we are to become, conformed to the image of His Son, discipleship. So my third calling in life, we've looked at two, my third calling in life is to become like Christ. Well, what does that mean? What does it look like? How do I take it with me on Monday when I, after I've talked about it? On Sunday, well, I can tell you what it's not. You are not to become a many God, M I N I. You're not to be that. You're never going to be God. God never expects you to be God. He recognizes that He created you in His image and in His image that we also fell through Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and that separated us from Him and He knew He had to do something to draw us back to Himself. He understands all of that. He says, but in spite of that, I've called you through the blood of my Son Christ to be conformed to my image. God is God, we're not. He wants you to become godly. In other words, He wants you to take on the characteristics of His family. In fact, we would know if we went over into the New Testament that God kind of gives us a description of what His family or what He wants His family to look like. It says that um, in the fruits of the Spirit, we know that God is love, God is joyful, God is peace, God is patient, God is kind. That God is all of these things that he's self-controlled and he's merciful. And he says, as my people, I want you to be that. I want you to become that. I want you to be self-controlled. I want you to be merciful. I want you to be patient with other people. It's called, as I told you, the fruit of the Spirit. So if we're going to talk about how to become, there are five passages of Scripture in the Bible, that God compares life to a race. He says, run the race set before you. He says, to go after the prize. And we're going to look at those five passages today, or those five examples. And from that five examples, we're going to draw eight conclusions that I believe will help us to understand what it means to become 
like Christ. The first one that we will see as we look at it is that God has called us to simplify our life. Life is not a sprint. Life is a marathon. If you want to think of becoming like Christ as a marathon, think of it as a marathon to maturity. Because you can run out of this door and you can say, I want to live for God and you have made a sprint. But if you don't have the foundation of maturity, the first time something comes into your life that's not what you expected or wanted, it's going to knock you down. And so God tells us in this marathon to maturity, these steps to becoming like Christ, the first one is simplify my life. Look at it in um, Romans, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. The passage of Scripture there says, Therefore we also. Now, if there's a therefore, it's therefore a reason. And so we go back to chapter 11. And chapter 11 says, helps us to understand why the we also. Because Hebrews chapter 11 is a listing of people that have lived faith, been found faithful, and God held them up as an example to us as what faith looks like. He says, so in chapter 11, all of these people had faith. All of these people trusted God. All of these people lived out their purpose. Therefore, if they did it, you can. And he says, therefore, we also... um, Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, that's all those people in chapter 11, he says, let us lay aside every weight. It's the Greek word O-I-K-O-S, oikos. It means weight. It means set aside the weights, set aside the things that are holding you back. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us And let us run with endurance. That means it's not a sprint. That means it's a marathon. That means it's going to be a daily choice to get up and do your Jesus exercise. He said, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If I am going to live the Jesus life, if I'm going to be transformed or conformed, to the image of Christ, I'm going to have to cut out, clean out, and discard all the junk that's holding me back from becoming the person that God wants me to be. And listen to me, we all got baggage, right? When you go on a trip, you pack a suitcase, you got luggage, and you sometimes it has wheels, and that's awesome. And sometimes it has a strap, and sometimes you're just walking through the, the airport like this trying not to spill it everywhere. We all have it. And he says, in life, you're going to have baggage. Because, yes, I knit you together in your mother's womb. Yes, I had a purpose for your life. But also, sin happened in the Garden of Eden. And there's a sin nature. And people are going to hurt you. You're going to make choices that you shouldn't have made. You're going to have things that happen in your life you can't explain. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be pain. There's going to be all of these things going on. And some days, you're going to have to wake up and say... Today, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to set that to the side. Because I want to tell you something. Everybody in this room has somebody that thinks that they know how you ought to live better than you do. And many of us have people in our lives that want to tell us that they think 
they know how we ought to live better than we do. And they start talking. And we start listening. And all of a sudden, we don't know who to follow. We don't know where to go. But let me tell you, as much as there are people in your life that think they know how you ought to live better than you do, there are many times that you think you know, you ought, you know how you ought to live. And let me tell you, that's a lie too. Because the Bible did not say for Chris to be transformed into the image that he has dreamed up in his head, which, by the way, is a great story. Someday I'll tell you about it. Because, I mean, and every turn I'm like, da-da-da-da, I'm in the room. You know, that kind of thing. I mean, that's how it works, but that's not God's story. Man, God's story is, is a story of bringing you out and building you up. And you're going to walk up some hills and you're going to slide down some on the other side. You're going to land in the valley. And sometimes the, the valley is muddy. And then sometimes the, la- the valley is like this really cool pit of cushy balls that you can just jump into. And it's amazing. But it's not your story for me that I need to learn about. It's not my story for me that I need to learn about. The story that I need to learn is, God, what have you called me to do? And to do that, I've got to simplify my life. Because one of the things with ADHD, when I get in a room, I hear every one of y'all talking. And it's like, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and I can't listen to this one because I've just heard that one. And then the second I hear that one, then I'm going to go hear this one. And all of those competing voices get in my head, and finally I just go, la and I just go step out of the room. In fact, I had one of those mornings this morning. I walked in here and nobody was talking. Nobody was in here. In fact, except Joy, and she looked and she looked at me and she mouthed. She said, the silence is wonderful. I was like, yes, two thumbs up for the silence right now. Because it was one of those mornings and it was just there. And so God says, I want you to simplify your life. So you've got to ask yourself a question this morning. Whose life or whose race am I going to run? Maybe another question is, if you've decided today is the day that you want to run the race that God has for you, maybe you have to back up and say, whose race have I been running? Whose race? Some of you are running the race that your parents set up for you, your spouse set up for you, um, an influential person in your life set up for you. Some of you have said, you know what, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to do it myself. And God says, that's not the race. The race is mine. That race takes trust. That race takes faith and stepping out. Because you see, you really can only run one race at a time. TJ runs track. He runs track for Clayton State. I believe your race is the 800 meters. Is that right? That's the one you run? Have you ever run the 800 and the 100 at the same time? You can't. You run one. You say, well, how do I do it? Well, Jesus gave us a little insight. He said, That when your burden is heavy, he said to us, swap the yoke. He said, lay down the one you've been trying to carry and pick up the one that I created you for. And I think he said something about that, that that one's light. 
I don't know if it's really light or if it's just got him holding it. Either way, it's a better yoke for your life. So simplify my life. Don't get impatient or in a hurry. Let's go back to that verse, Hebrews 12:1, where it says, Therefore, we also, and we understand why that's there, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, we know who those people are, let us say, lay aside the weight, every weight, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. That's the word I want you to focus on, endurance. So many times, I, we, us, we make the decision, man, today, God, today, God, I have decided I'm following you. And we say, here I am, and here you are, and here's my choice. And we believe that we're going to walk out this door, and life's going to be different. And we walk out this door, and there we are. Nothing's different except the decision to follow Christ. And we look at it and we say, God, what do you mean? Life's not better. Life hasn't changed. I'm still dealing with the same sin, the same addiction, the same temptation, the same people, the same hurt, the same this, the same that. And you say, God, I sprinted 10 yards and you didn't do anything, so I'm done. And you may come back to church the next week and we can see you and find you and you're here. Or sometimes people don't even come back. Met with a man this week. Looked at me and said, Pastor, God's calling me to be in the ministry. I'm ready to be in the ministry. I want to be in the ministry. I said, he said, and I'm looking for somebody to mentor me. I said, awesome, I'd love to mentor you. He said, what would it look like? I said, it'll start cleaning toilets. If you're here today, would you stand up? Oh, he's not here. Y'all are here, not him. Y'all, I'm talking about this young man that I met with. I apologize. That was a terrible question. You are here today, so you should stand up. But if I met with you and you said you didn't want to clean toilets, stand up. He didn't come back. That's my point. Yeah. Sorry. Terrible question. Great thought. Hear me. He wanted to sprint to the pulpit. And the, the path to the pulpit is not a sprint. <laughs> Maybe I need to go run some more. Um, it's not. And there's so much value. I'll tell you a difference. Russell and I had a very similar conversation about eight years ago. He said, where's the mop? Truth. Joy and I had somewhat of a similar conversation. She said, I don't know what God's doing, but I'm available. She picked up the bass. Miss Autry was doing something else. And, and I could give you a long list of people that we could go way back with. And people say, man, I'm here and I want God to use me. But we build in our minds this story and it's a race of endurance. We don't get in a hurry. Growth takes time. A mushroom takes six hours. You know, you go to bed and you have no mushrooms. You wake up the next day and you got like a whole patch of mushrooms in your yard. Takes six hours. An oak tree takes 60 years. When I kick a mushroom, it flies all over my yard and in a million pieces. And by the way, I love to do that when they come up. I like to like pretend like it's a football game. Truth. I line up and I'm thinking, 
okay, no time left. I kick the field goal. We win the game. And I come through and I, and it goes everywhere. That's part of that story I told y'all I have for myself. Um, but I don't kick the oak tree. The oak tree goes nowhere. The oak tree makes me grab my foot and go, okay, you're not as smart as I thought you were. Why did you kick the oak tree? You want to be immovable. You want to be unshakable. You want to be that person that when the storms come and the wind blows, that you are there and you are strong. So you simplify your life. You don't get impatient or in a hurry. Next, you spend time focusing on Jesus every day. All right, go back with me to Hebrews. We're talking about running a race. We're talking about being transformed into the image of Christ. And the next thing I would tell you, you spend time focusing on Jesus every day. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, looking on to Jesus. It didn't say give him a shout out as you run by. It didn't say do a nod for God. It didn't say don't be, it did not tell us to be a fan of the brand to borrow a phrase from a friend of ours but what it said is look unto Jesus and why do you look to Jesus because it tells us he's the author of your faith the author is the one that writes the story the author is the one that makes us turn the page the author is the one that tells us what it's going to be and how it's going to end and what's next you look to Jesus he's the author of your faith but he's so much more than the author of your faith he's the finisher of your faith do you know that whatever you want to become is what you think about? If you want to be like Jesus, you've got to think about it. If you hang out with people who have no ambition, guess what? Pretty soon you become a person who has no ambition. If you hang out with people who are critical, you're going to become critical. Wherever you spend the most time with, whoever you spend the most time with, is who you're going to become like. If you want to become like Christ, you're going to have to spend time with Him. It's like the old cliche, you can't soar with the eagles if you're running with the turkeys. So There may be, you need to hear me, this marathon to Christ's likeness may cause you to evaluate what you listen to. It will cause you to evaluate it. It may cause you to change what you listen to. It may cause you to adjust what you read. It may cause you to separate yourself from some people that you're hanging out with. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me. Salvation is free, but the the cost of discipleship is expensive. It is a cost of dying to myself daily. Moment by moment. It's looking unto Jesus who is the author. And you know what really is another word for that looking unto Jesus? It's a quiet time. How many of you know when I say the word quiet time what I'm talking about? Okay, some, not all. So give me just a moment, I'll explain it. A quiet time is a designated time in my day with a very specific purpose it is the time in my day where I take this Bible and this mind and I put this mind 
on this Bible. And I tell, and as I'm there, I'm going, okay, God, I want to hear from you. I want to look unto you. So you've given me this book as a guide. So I open it up and I begin to read. Some days it may be a chapter. Some days it may be a verse. There have been times that it was a word, but it's a quiet time. It's a designated time. It's a designated time where I open it up and I say, okay, God, what are you saying to me today? God, what do you want me to do with what you've said to me today? When Peter and Paul were being in a struggle, and the disciples were in a struggle with the the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the people of the law in the New Testament, and they were being persecuted, and they were being imprisoned, and they really were, they wanted to kill them. The scripture says that they began to pray. And they didn't pray for their circumstances to change. They prayed for boldness in the middle of the circumstances to be like Christ. You see, that's a quiet time. Because what I want to do is every day, hey, God, make it good. God, make it better. God, make it plentiful. God, make it what I want it to be. And God says, sometimes it's not going to be what you want it to be. Sometimes I'm going to have to take you through the rough moments because you need to grow. And sometimes I've got to take you through the rough moments because... In that drive-by, there may be somebody there that you need to rescue. I've got to spend time with Jesus to know what Jesus wants from me. And so I will challenge you today, not only do you want to ask yourself, whose race are you running? But I would ask you, whose voice are you listening to? Because you're listening to somebody's. And if it's Fox and... CNN and MSNBC and whoever else, you better change your your input because it's going to affect your output. And God is not caught off guard by one thing that's going on. And he says, in the middle of that, I chose you to be born right now, to live in this moment, to reflect me to the world. He tells us here, he says, to look at it, look unto Jesus. Why? Because he's the author and he's the finisher. And what has Jesus got to do with it? Because who for the joy that was set before him? Do you know that you're the joy that was set before him? For the joy that was set before him to redeem you from hell. He endured the cross despising the shame, and he has now sat down at the right hand of God. It's a quiet time. Did Jesus practice what he preached? Look at Luke twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. It's in your outline. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed. Jesus went to a place that was familiar. So I'm going to give you a little more thought on that quiet time. It's not just who you spend time with. You spend time with God through His Word. I'm going to tell you it helps if you pick a place. I'm going to tell you that it's beneficial if you take a notebook. I'm going to tell you that it's good to write out little things off in the margin of your Bible so when you come back you can remember what you learned because you won't always do it. Now, statistically, we can gather from interviewing Christians that many of us have bought into the instant society. 
We have got instant potatoes. We've got instant grits. We've got instant tea. We've got instant a lot of things. But there is not instant Christianity. It's an endurance that comes by practicing the discipline of looking unto Jesus, looking to Him, saying, I'm here reporting for duty. It's asking and telling Jesus, not what we think He ought to do, but saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Now, I'm talking about long-held notions in your head. I'm talking about things that you may count as the foundation and the core of your very being. Jesus is saying, you die to that because I bought you with a price. And my blood. You look unto Jesus. You look at Jesus and you say, you tell me how I live. You tell me. And Jesus, if you needed to go off as was your custom and pray, then Lord God, certainly I need to too. So here we go. We've looked at those. Now, what's another step to becoming Christ-like? When it gets hard, remember the reward. Go back to that Hebrews passage. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author of your faith, the finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because at that moment when he was in the garden of Gethsemane and he was praying out to God and he said, Oh, Father, if there's any other way, can we do it? But nevertheless, not my will, but your will. At that moment, Jesus knew the answer. He was expressing his heart to God. He said, God, here it is. But at that moment, he knew the answer. And when he looked at the reward of the cross and the pain, he said, who for the joy set before him? And you're going to have moments in your life when it is hard to walk with Christ. But who for the joy that is set before you? The image of his son, the being transformed, the being in right relationship with him, intimacy with him. The beauty and the wonder of heaven, you endure it. That means you get up and you do what you got to do because it's what you got to do to become what God has called you to be. I got a text. This is, I love God and His wonderful communication. <clears throat> I have a friend that was supposed to be at church today. I got a text that said, Hey, PC, ain't going to be at church today. It's cold and raining. Straight up, not lying to you. I have a picture of my phone with dude at a football game with it cold and raining, and he's sitting outside. I texted back, we let you sit inside. <laughs> I mean, Really? But you, sometimes we go, oh man, I'm in it. God, you can count on me. Except on the days that it's cold. Except on the days that it's raining. Except on the days that I wake up and something else. And listen to me, there are legitimate reasons to miss. I'm not, I'm not admonishing or saying that there's not. There are legitimate reasons. But, there are often times that the voice in our head <clears throat> says... It's just one time. When it gets hard, remember the reward. 
if God did not spare his own son from suffering, why would he spare you? First mm-hmm. Peter 5.10 says this, But may the God of all grace, how much grace? All grace. That means any grace there is, God owns it. Who called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After you have suffered a while, he will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. But how do you get there? You get there through suffering. Can I tell you, on the day that I was sitting at my father's foot of my father's bed when we knew that if it wasn't this breath, it was going to be the next breath, and surely it wouldn't have gone one more breath. When we were sitting at the foot of his bed and his breathing became labored and he was there at that moment that he breathed his last breath, I promise you there was a miraculous change. I looked and you could know that he was at peace with God. God says, I don't know if I'm going to do it today, tomorrow, and I may not do it till you die. He says, but it's a promise and you can count on it. I'm going to perfect you. I'm going to establish you. I'm going to strengthen you. And I'm going to settle you. I'm going to do it. He says, simplify your life. Don't be impatient. Spend time focusing on Jesus. When life gets hard, remember the reward. And then he tells us to gather a team around you. Look, Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another. Now, why would we consider one another and why would I consider you? He says, in order, you do it so that, in order to stir up love and good works. I'm going to ask you an honest question. Do you think that anybody outside the body of Christ right now is trying to, to stir up love? No. Why? Because the absence of love sells right now. It's not about what's right and good for humanity. It's about what gets commercial dollars, advertisements. It's about what keeps them in the the front of people. And so they benefit from our brokenness. Our broken relationships. And Jesus says, consider one another to stir up love. He says, but I don't want to just stir up love so we can all sit in the room together and feel good about sitting in the room together. He says, I want to stir it up, love, so that there will be good works. Now, Why did God want us to have good works? The scripture tells us. So that people will see your good works and what will they do with them? Glorify the Father who is in heaven. So you hear me. Lone Ranger was a great TV show. But the Lone Ranger had Tonto. You better find person that lives life with you the people that live life with you and sometimes it's not who you think and it may not be what you expect but man God says that you need it 
Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You mean God really cares if I go to church or not? Oh, he cares every week. But, this consider one another. We are considering one another right now. I will agree with that. And it's good. Just look at that person somewhere around you and say, it's good. It's good. Yeah, it's real good. But I'm going to tell you that I believe with all of my heart, it's good, but it ain't as good as it can be in this room. The best good comes from in a small group connected to people that I know by name that I share life with that I'm walking with all along all the time so that when the stuff happens I got folk I can pick up the phone and say it stinks today it's good today it's so good today I need to share it with somebody he says consider one another now that's kind of like that looking unto Jesus it's not just going woo there's Jesus and it's not just woo there's so and so no it means let's step into life together and when you step into life with people it gets tough because sometimes they're not lovable they're not likable but we're not doing it for each other we're doing it for Jesus Sometimes we're not going to consider one another. And sometimes we're going to think, am I out here all by myself? You need to remember this. God is for you. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, Paul said, but I press on. In other words, I ain't what I ought to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And I'm going to keep on working to become what God called me to be. I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. What did Christ lay hold of him for? And let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. I think I've used this illustration before, but bear with me, I'm going to use it again. All right? When I was in high school, I ran track. I never lost, but one time, and I ran the 400, and I was running around the track, and this young man was in front of me, and for the life of me, I could not catch him, and for the record, I did not catch him. But there was one thing I remember, not losing, but my mama. My mama was standing in the third curve, and she didn't care who was in that field or at that stadium that day. She wanted one person to know she was there. And she was jumping up and down, and as I play it in my mind, I'm thinking, that woman was crazy. 
Because she was yelling, she was clapping, she was screaming, and she was going, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. You see, that's what God is doing. And I know this, I know that some of you in this room today think that God has given up on you. And you know in your mind he couldn't love me because of what I've done or what's been done to me. And I want to tell you that God has not quit. God will never quit. He says that I am always for you from way back here before the foundation of the world. All the way out through eternity I am on your side. And you need to know it. And he is cheering and he is like the perpetual peppy cheerleader. Because he is always, you got this. So on the day that you want to quit and you think, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. Big ones, squiggly ones, fat ones, skinny ones, oh how they wiggle and squirm. On those days, God is for you. And on the day that you blow it worse than you've ever blown it and you can't even imagine that you could blow it as bad as you're going to blow it someday in the future, God is for you. And Satan's a liar. God is for you. God is there. Take every step with purpose. I think that's almost the last one. I'm going to talk faster. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says, Do you not know? In other words, Paul says, I know you already know this, but I'm going to tell it to you again, and I'm going to phrase it this way. Do you not know, since you already know, that all who run in a race... All run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do not, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, this way, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. You've got to choose. You've got to choose today to be disciplined. You've got to choose today to do the right thing. You've got to make the choice to follow Jesus on and on and on because at every turn there's going to be something that says, don't follow Jesus today, it's all right. You get a pass. You know, like once a year, I don't know who all does it, but I know like um, the credit union that I'm a member of always sends me a little notice that says, if you don't want to make your car payment this month, you don't have to make your car payment. They don't, like, erase it. They just tack it on to the end. And so it really is not a good thing. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just the interest and all. You know what I'm talking about. So here's what I got to do. I can't get a vacation from choosing to live for God. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to take every step on purpose. You've got to be driven. That's how you get to the finish line. Hebrews 12, let's go back there, 12 and 13. Lift up your tired hands then and strengthen your trembling knees. In other words, when you feel like you can't go on, I'm out of energy, I'm out of gas, ask God for more strength. Keep walking. When you're going through hell, what do you do? You keep on walking. Because you don't want that to be your address. You want to keep on keeping on. Don't be tempted by crooked ways. I think this, to me, is the most comforting thought of all, the last one. Realize that 
what I don't finish, God will. Philippians 1.6, be confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. You choose every day to look unto Jesus. You choose every day to team up with other people. You choose every day to be patient and simplify your life. And God says, what you don't get done, I'll do. You see, because he doesn't need us. He just simply chooses us. I'm cheering you at every stage. Keep on. Keep on. There is freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is victory in him. There are things that God wants to do. And when you get hold of what God got hold of you for, it's going to change every area of your life. It's going to change relationships. It's going to change why you go to work. It's going to change why you relate with people, how you spend your money, how you act, how you think. It's going to change how you view challenges. But every journey has a beginning. Agreed? A first step? What's the proverb? A journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. We're going to take a step. It's Mount Zion Baptist Church. February 4th, that's today. Until February the 28th, that's the last day and the Wednesday, and it's a Wednesday of this month. From today until the 28th, I'm asking you as Mount Zion Baptist Church to join us in 25 days of prayer and fasting. 25 days where we focus on God for spiritual growth and breakthrough. Spiritual growth that we individually and collectively we will grow together spiritually. That we will begin to take these truths and apply them to our life. And it will be manifested in our behavior. Spiritual growth. Breakthrough. Personal breakthrough in that things that have been knocking us down will be defeated. Breakthrough in that this stalemate we're in with our situation with land and loan will develop clarity and we'll know what to do next and how to do it best. We're not asking for God to make it easy. We're not asking even God to take it away because that may not be what glorifies Him the most. But we are asking Him as the disciples did when they were being threatened by the Sanhedrin, God give us boldness. So, I'm sure most of you know what fasting is. I'm going to say that probably maybe some have not yet learned what fasting is, and that's okay. You're not less because you don't know. That just means that nobody's taught you yet. So that's an okay thing. So fasting is this. If you went into your Bible or you Googled fasting, it would probably give you a lot of different things. It would tell you the length of fasting, and that doesn't matter. And it would tell you what you do during fasting, and that's not all-inclusive. But most of the time, it's associated with food. You give up a particular type of food. You, for, you give up food for a certain amount of time or a designated time. Or you might even um, deprive yourself of a certain type of food. That is fasting. But I'm going to expand that just a little bit today. And I'm going to say that, that fasting is when you deprive yourself of a worldly pleasure for the purpose of focusing on God in that time. All right? So, 
I'm addicted to TV. I may want to fast from TV for a season. And, and in the time that I would normally be sitting and watching TV, I put my mind on God. I'm looking unto Jesus. Why? He's my author. He's my finisher. So I'm looking unto Him. Or I may do give up food. Or I may do something. Or you name it. If you, for that season of time, deprive yourself of some worldly pleasure for the purpose of focusing on God, you can call it a fast. It may be something you give up for a period of time, like from 12 to 6 in the daytime, or you may give it up for the whole 25 days. You define that right now, okay? But, and you say, well, what if it's this? Well, I think it does need to cost you something, all right? I think it needs to be something that if you give it up, you recognize and remember, hey, wait a minute, this is something I normally do, and you miss it, and it reminds you to focus on God. So we're calling you to fast from February 4th to February the 28th, 25 days. On the 28th, we'll gather at two separate times, one in the morning for people that do not drive at night and one in the evening at our normal Bible study time. We'll all meet together and we're going to talk about discover. We're going to discover what God taught us and we're going to worship and we're going to try to discern what he's telling us to do next. All right? Now, I also know this, that that some may feel more comfortable praying in a group. Well, every day but Saturday has a time designated that you can pray. You can come here at the church and pray, or you can where you are you can pray at that time, and you can say, Lord, speak to us today, or you can set up your own time. But if you want to gather with other people, there will be a time every day but Saturday that you can be here at the church in one of the buildings, depending on what's going on, to gather with other people to seek the Lord. You say, Pastor, I'm not going to remember all of that. I know. So that's why on your way out the door today, there will be somebody at every door to hand you a prayer and fasting guide that will guide you through what's next. And at any point in time, if you have a question, you call me. Call one of us. I'd love to talk with you through it. I'd love to walk this journey with you. So that's the call. I believe that there's scriptural proof that God honors it when his people set aside time to call on him. All right? So that's part one of our time of response today, what we call the invitation. Will you, and worship team, you can come on up. That's wonderful. Um, so step one is, will you join us from the next 25 days in a time of prayer and fasting? Please do. Number two. I know that many times there are people in this room that say, I'm the one today, Pastor. I don't know who else needs prayer, but I do. So I'm going to invite you when the music starts in just a moment to come up and say, will you pray for me? And we would love to pray with you. We would love to pray for you. Okay? Some need, to, had need today to make the decision. Someone may need to make the decision. I have decided to follow Jesus. I want Him to be my Savior. I'm going to invite you to come. If you've not been baptized, we're going to invite you to come and say, I want to be baptized. I want to identify as a follower of Christ. Others may say, I need a church home. I want a place to belong. I've been just here and there and floating around, but today I want to nail it down. I don't want to forsake the assembling of ourselves together anymore. I want a home. I want a place to belong. And this is it. So for the next 25 days, you don't want to miss Mount Zion Baptist Church. Because if it's the day 
that God gives the answer, you don't want to be hearing about it through somebody else's interpretation. So, as much as God allows, unless you're providentially hindered, go ahead and decide now. I'm here. Fair enough? Awesome. Let's stand. Our worship team's going to lead us. I invite you to come and pray, to talk, or, or whatever you may need today. But this is the moment. Let's go.